We've never wavered from that vision. Everything you hold worthwhile is at stake. Beyond yourself and ourselves, I have a dream. Freedom is indivisible. Uh, I took the initiative in creating the internet. That app comes with incredible rapidity. One electrical arc after another. Still trying to get myself adjusted. It really is a revolution. Welcome to the Hustle System Podcast, where I dissect the patterns of success and failure for some of my favorite people and pandas in the world. Today, we have Mr. John Dane. John is the founder of 99 Media. And, uh, you know, I love getting younger people on because you're on the pulse. You're on the pulse. You've started your own media agency. You've been absolutely rocking it. You're all over the place as far as social media. I see you rocking it with Gary Vee. I mean, you, you just name it. You're putting in work, and um, you also have a very smart approach towards yeah. marketing, for what I can tell. So uh, for those of, uh, those of you guys that don't know, can you maybe tell your your, your high school you know, yeah. uh, frustration story, and then we'll kick it off and just oh, rock bro. from there? Yeah, man. So first of all, thank you for having me, man. This is super cool. Um, yeah, man. So basically, I was just a regular kid going through high school, and still I'm a regular person, but like in terms of – I didn't do well in high school. I wasn't smart. I wasn't that person that a lot of kids in class looked at and was like, yeah, I want to be smart like John. I was just a normal dude. Um, and a lot of the times actually below average. So I didn't do very well when I got into high school. I loved playing baseball. I loved hanging out with friends, but I hated being in the classroom. Eventually ended up getting expelled from high school in, in 10th grade. And that's when I just said, okay, I'm going to go full send about entrepreneurship because like you get expelled from high school, you don't really have the best trajectory for getting into good colleges. Um, and you know, a lot of people follow the traditional belief that like the only way you're going to be successful is if you get into a good college and like whether or not we know it, we all have an innate belief that we want to be successful. Like since we're born, everybody wants to have some money. Like, let's be honest. So that's, that's where I knew I wanted to be there. I just didn't know the path I would take. So I got into reselling sneakers uh, when I was in 10th grade and built a a decently successful business for a 10th grader reselling sneakers. And then um, got a chance to manage my cousin's uh, social media. And um, he was a DJ, started managing his stuff, creating some content for him. Just like, you know, you get started in something, for example, like if you're the president of the United States, when you get that job, it's the first time you've ever done that job. You don't go in knowing how to do it. So I was just figuring it out, man. And, um, you know, eventually worked my way up, started to do, you know, get some more experience. And then I started my, my ads agent, my ad agency, uh, senior year of high school and just haven't looked back. Awesome, man. Uh, okay. Let's talk about you getting expelled. How'd you get expelled? Did you just not, not go? Like, did you, did you just say like, you know what? I'm just going to not show Like, I'm just over it. Or yeah, like, yeah, how, yeah. how did so, that come about? So basically I was failing like five classes and, um, I was, my tardiness was awful. I didn't go a lot. So they eventually just made the decision like, Hey, we don't even want you to go to school here anymore. And then that's when I transitioned into homeschooling. That's pretty cool. Um, how did your parents react? Cause I think a lot of people listening, yeah, they'll try and go off the beaten path, but then, you know, their friends and family are like, no, you have to go back. And yeah. were, they, were they supportive or how did that play Yeah, out? that's a good, nobody's ever asked me that. As I've been on like 50 podcasts. Nobody's ever asked me that. So basically, um, they weren't very happy, like obviously, um, but they had always realized how difficult school was for me. So I think they, they em- emphasized with me, uh, they had a lot of empathy for me because they were like, okay, John hates school. School wasn't working out. Let's let him try. 
And I think that a lot of times people like my parents aren't supportive. Well, a lot of people's parents aren't supportive of your ideas. They're not necessarily unsupportive of your implementation. So like when you're a 16 year old kid and you're talking about how you want to start the successful business and do all these crazy things, your parents are obviously going to be like, uh, you're, you're not like, there's no way that's going to happen. But once you actually start to implement and actually take things seriously and do them, that's when your parents become pretty supportive. So for, you know, they were, they've always been pretty supportive, um, but they were a little bit like thrown off when I first got started. What, what was the moment that you kind of like decided to, to, to not show up? Cause I think, I think we all, sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes there's a particular moment where you're like, you know what? I'm just not going to show up. That's it. Uh, I'm sure it was like, like a lot of people that I um, talk with, it's as it mundane. You weren't really seeing the outcome. You weren't seeing where yeah. it was going. And, uh, you, you know, was there a thing that you're like, you know what, today, like, instead of going to school, I'm going to do sneakers or I'm going to do yeah. this. Like, do you remember a specific event? I mean, I just remember, you know, you're learning from people all day who are just, you know, can I, can I cuss on here? Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> shitty humans, man. Like all, all the teachers I had were just shitty humans. And like, and I'm not, and I'm not being rude here, but like there are people that I'm looking at and I'm like, I want to be nothing like this person. So I'm just sitting here listening to this person and like all their beliefs of how they see the world and how things really are. And I don't really see eye to eye with any of those things. So I think just sitting in class and be like, I'm listening to someone who has not even one bit or one piece of what I actually want out of life. That's when I kind of transitioned fully and was like, okay, I'm, I'm completely done. I'm unengaged now. I want to go do something else. Awesome. And there's also kind of a money component, right? Where you're seeing, uh, you know, it, I always talk about this. It's like fulfillment versus uh, achievement. If you're looking to get achievement, you know, financially, um, and then you're looking at this and you're like, oh, wait a minute. And then, you know, I'm, I'm uh, with, with me, I, I also almost messed, messed, quote, messed up my schooling. I, I missed a whole year, um, which a lot of people don't know. Yeah, I totally just didn't go for a year. Uh, and I did other um, entrepreneurial-esque things. Let's just put it that way. During that time, uh, let's say creative, uh, creative <laughs> import-export type business. <laughs> uh, we'll just put it that way. Uh, learned a lot about customer support, et cetera. Um, so... so uh, I, th I think there's a, a reference point where you go, okay, well, this isn't a reference point that you have. And then you start to disqualify all of the information that's provided by that reference yeah, point, right? 100%. Um, pretty fascinating. Okay, so, so um, tell me then, what, what, what happened after, you know, uh, like what were the patterns of maybe uh, success that you saw that you doubled down on right away? Uh -huh. So I started resell sneakers and I had a job at the time. So that was how I was funding my sneaker reselling business. So I, I flipped a couple of shoes, made some pretty serious cash at the time. So like a couple grand for a 16 year old, especially when you never really made any real money, you're like, okay, this is serious. So that's when I started to double down on that. But it, re it very quickly became an oversaturated market. And like, it was the people that had real money that started to win. So that's when I kind of transitioned out, kind of cut my losses and was like, okay, I want to get into something that's not only service-based, but that I can start with no money. So like, you know, I was uh, riffing the other day on my podcast with Eman Gadji. I don't know if you're familiar with him. And we were talking about like, and I know you're a digital marketer. We were talking about like how fortunate we are in the agency space and like the, the actual resources that we have at our disposal to start a wildly profitable business and a successful business that's not only so untraditional to, you know, normal rules of business, but you don't even need any freaking money to get started. So that's, that's when I kind of transitioned into running an agency because I knew like, my work ethic would deliver what not having money didn't deliver, right? So like I knew that if I just worked hard, I could still create some success. And that's when I kind of dove deep into running an agency. 
Awesome. Okay, so money you don't need. It does help. Uh, it helps you don't a need, ton. But you don't need. So, so let's talk about what things you do need. What are some of the things that you found that were cornerstones? You mentioned work ethic, and we can unpack that a little bit more. But what are some of the things? Let, let's say someone is listening to this, and they might actually be in their early twenties. They might be in their twenties, and they might be stuck in that nine to five grind, and they're kind of looking at you and saying, "Well, you made a really bold move. You made a really unapologetic move. You're saying I'm going to do this, but." When you do that, a lot of people fail, right? A lot of people fall yeah. flat on their face um, over and over and over again, and then they end up kind of crawling back to the, the bubble of the nine to five. But I think as soon as you see that first initial success, you kind of you can never like you can never go back, right? Yeah. Um, so, what are some of the cornerstones that you laid out, uh, maybe as principles, maybe as foundational skills? Um, if you can maybe do th- like three or four, that would yeah. be amazing. I think for people like if I, you know, if, if you were to do a clean slate and you had to pick the things back up, it would, you know. Uh, I'll give you, you know, whether that's copywriting, uh, psychology, like what are those things for you that you um, built your foundation off? Well, for me, um, I've always like with sneaker reselling and just growing up, I've always been really sales oriented. So I'd say sales is uh, a lot bigger skill of mine more more than marketing. I think the two go hand in hand. Sales is more of a one on one uh, and marketing is more of a vast approach. So it's, it's the same skills and it's the same lingo but it's just in a, in a different setting. That's how I like to look at it. So I would say the number one thing is be able to sell because you can be an awesome marketer, but you know, you've, you've worked for some huge companies. You probably have met media buyers who are incredibly talented and they're making 40 K a year. So like being a badass media buyer and badass copywriter, it's awesome and it's a massive asset, but it can also just make you really good at a job. So I would say like you have to be able to have that entrepreneurial personality of like I'm going to go out, I'm going to get appointments, I'm going to make sales. And then I would say let the marketing piece come in second. Get good at marketing, get good at copywriting or find or bring somebody in. But you can't bring somebody in to help you if you have no revenue and you're going to get revenue through sales. And I think the third thing would be systems. So like you, you want to get down sales, you want to get down marketing and then you want to get down systems. So you want to automate your minute tasks, you want to bring on people that can help kind of carry the load um, and just be efficient in how you do things because like in a business model, just like running an agency, we're not naive to the fact that there's tons, like shitloads of agencies out there. So you have to have things that differentiate you, like your systems that you put in place, like how you onboard clients, and different things that just make you different and, and you know, overall just make you better. So get good at sales, then get good at marketing, then get good at systems is what I would tell anybody trying to start an agency. Cool, I love it. Okay, let's, let's unpack sales a little bit more cool. uh, because I, I think practicals are really useful. If you have any um, you know, external reading materials, that's one. But what I wanna focus on first is those first couple sneakers. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you go about pushing those out? Was that, was that like friends and family? Was that socials? How did e-commerce. you approach like getting those first couple sales? Yeah, e-commerce was how I sold all my shoes. Um, eBay and then a platform called Grailed. Some of the, any, anybody who used to be an OG in the sneaker reselling game probably knows about Grailed. Uh, it's just a website where you can sell like hype beast clothes and sneakers and stuff like that. So it was all e-com. And then I, then I actually found out about a shop that was in downtown Nashville where I was living at the time and uh, they bought sneakers. So I, I figured a way that I could just like, cause when you're listening to shit online, it takes seven days for the bid to be over and then you got to ship it and then they hold your money. So I, I found a way to kind of get my cash flow get on a quicker cash flow cycle. So I would just take down to this shop, maybe lose a couple hundred bucks, but I'd be able to get money quicker. Uh, and then I could go, you know, reinvest. Dig it. Yes. Yeah, so that's a very uh, results oriented uh, approach. I talk a lot about this with, with my staff that I bring on, right? It's uh, there's a certain psychology to being able to see the money show up and right. knowing what actions you took to actually make that money 
yeah. uh, show up. So, so I think for a lot of the people listening, they like the idea of running a business, like in theory, they're like, I want the, the laptop lifestyle, but they're not willing to go down to the shop and push the sneakers. They're not willing to figure out, okay, what are the top sneaker reselling channels, right, of acquisition that I need to push for and how do I master those and how does those platforms work and what's unique about them? And we're seeing that with social media all over the place, right? TikTok's got a unique approach, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, all unique approaches that everybody wants to be like this big personal brand, this big influencer, but they're not willing to say, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, Instagram's way different from YouTube. Uh, oh. We got to approach this way differently and really dissect that, break that down, and then do the work and iterate. Um, so that's super cool. Uh, you mentioned work ethic, okay? Uh, how do you approach your uh, your structures? You know, I think I think the work ethic and the systems go really well hand in hand. I always say there's a military term, right? We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. One of my favorite quotes. Uh, so the systems that you build for yourself, I think are also um, sometimes more important than the systems that you build for your company, because like if you can't lead your company, then things are going to be chaos, right? You can build whatever systems you want, but at the end of the day, the leadership aspect is important. So how do you go about work ethic and then structuring systems for yourself in your personal life to make sure you get the things done that you need to uh, actually get done? Yeah. I mean, I think that anytime you're going to look at building a system, I enjoy building systems and I like, that's when I can really get deep and focused work in. And I think that like, you just have to look at it like it's going to take some time, but it's going to free up so much time later down the line. So, you know, you have to work hard. And I think that things have to break before you can, you know, even if it's just something as simple as when somebody books an appointment with me on Calendly, it takes a long time when all the time compounds to send them a phone number or to do this. Why can't I just automate it and put a Zoom link on here? Like that's an easy automation that is going to save you time, especially if you're getting on call after call after call after call. So even things like that are, Hey, you know, when I bring a new client on, it takes a shitload of time to get all their information and their socials and their passwords. Why don't I create a system to automate that? So I think that like, you know, it's important to work hard so you can figure out an audit and go back and say, okay, what actually needs to be fixed? So I think that that's, that's why, like you're saying, hard work and systems go hand in hand because you can't just build a bunch of systems if you've never tried it or tested it before. So like we're trying some new outreach and uh, my business partner and I, Adam, and we're, we're automating our outreach with some team members. And he was like, let's just have them go deep on this, this platform. And I was just like, well, we could do that, but we don't know because we haven't really split tested and had a lot of variability. So we've tried some different things and then we find a system or, or a model uh, rather that we can say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how it's going to be executed. And let's just stick to that. But you have to let things break and, uh, before you can fix them. And they break by hard work and stress testing. So I think that's why. Uh, those two things kind of go hand in hand. And in terms of building out systems in my own life, just anywhere that doesn't need your time. You know what I mean? Like as an entrepreneur, when you start to create, I'm going to say this, if you have a business that's making over 10 grand a month, you're probably doing so many things that you shouldn't be doing. So like, even, even though you might love them, like you might love doing outreach or you might love, you know, booking your calendar and doing all this stuff or entering data in the CRM. But like, that's not where your time's best spent. Like if you, you're making over 10 grand a month, you are a valuable fucking asset. Like, you know, you, you're a valuable human that shouldn't be wasting their time doing all these things because you can automate those things and then go out and make more money and go out and create more, you know, for your company. So I think that when, when, in terms of building systems in my personal life, it's very similar to business. I'm just finding out my time's not best spent here. How can I fix that? And then spend it somewhere better. 
Love it. Yeah, we call that the the catalyst point, right? What is the point of biggest impact that's going to create that explosive growth in your business that you need to do? Um, for me, for example, like, like it's like uh, doing podcasts like this. There's nobody else. Like, like my little panda here can't do like right. right. Like you can't do the podcast. Like it, just, it right. doesn't know. I could train my staff as well as I could. They're not going to be able to understand the subtle psychological triggers that you maybe have had to go through in your journey and try and uh, weed out those little golden nuggets, right? That are going to really make this feel like a special podcast, not just another one of those where we talk about, okay, blah, 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 copywriting sales. Okay, cool. We can touch on those things. But what's that thing that for you makes it feel like a journey mm-hmm. that makes for you feel like an actual explorative experience into your own human experience. Uh, that's for example, something that makes our stuff really, really special, right? You were right. talking about differentiation. Um, so uh, that's huge uh, point of catalyst. Amazing. Love it. Uh, what, uh, let's talk a little bit more about that personal stuff before we dig into the whole like kind of agency marketing component. Uh, which things do you automate in your life as far as say diet workouts morning rituals because you're very systematic you're very iterative yep. how do you approach say the first hour of your day what, yep. what does that look like i mean if you look back at anybody who's been super successful it's they've dialed in like a daily routine and habit so my when i my the time i wake up i'm not as oriented about when i wake up because that's all over the place, but I'll still try to do the same exact things in the morning. So I'll always meditate for 20 minutes a day. That's somewhere where I always try to go. Ray Dalio actually gives the, the advice like that that's changed his life and his journey more than anyone. So I always try to get in 20 minutes of meditation at least. Always do some positive affirmations. I, uh, I think that's, it's just a good thing to practice. Like I think a lot of people get caught up on the affirmations. Your affirmations aren't going to do anything if you don't put in any action, but I still like to do them, <laughs> you know, because we're, we're obviously putting in action. And then I try to get a workout in, try to work out for a minimum of 45 minutes, even if that's just jumping on the elliptical or jumping on a treadmill. Um, so I kind of have those three non-negotiable things, and then I just jump in. Normally I have my calendar booked out for the day, and then I just start diving into work. But no matter what time I wake up, you know, there's days I'll wake up at 1030. I still want to get those tasks done, and it's simple. It's not hard. Like I think that a lot of people – the reason that they fail with their morning routine and all this kind of stuff is because they go from waking up at 11 o'clock in the day and then they want to, and then they want to wake up at 5:30, and then they want to meditate. They want to pray. They want to run on the treadmill. They want to work out. They want to stretch and they want to do all this stuff. So like I found that if you just start by adding one thing that you want to do and do it daily be disciplined about it. And then once you've got that down and that's like a non-negotiable and you're going to do it every day without even thinking about it, then add another thing. But you can't completely, you know, construct a billionaire morning routine from absolute scratch when you're used to staying up all night and playing Xbox. So I think that, uh, you know, if anybody's trying to build a morning routine, it's super important, but I would, if at least that's what's worked best for me, that might not be what the, the best advice for everybody, but take it step by step, take it, you know, thing like thing by thing, and you'll see a lot more success in your, in your routine. Yeah. I think one of the, the couple of things that you mentioned there are great is even if you wake up at a different time, like still do, still do the stuff you're supposed to do. Uh, and don't let that completely like tank your entire day. I, I, I see that with, um, with a lot of people, myself included, where it's like, Oh, well I'm off by 15 minutes. I might as well like not go to the gym. I might as well. And then the whole day is different. And then you have to completely do a full reset. Um, I kind of have an end of day reset with a sauna thing. Like if I if I like miss if I miss my mark completely for the day, I go okay. I'm gonna shut off the last four hours of the day. I'm gonna go quote waste that time now and go to a sauna and just sit in the sauna, hot, cold, hot, cold. It's almost like kind of a punishment component that resets. Boom, and then I'm able to get up early and then 
uh, kind of reset that. And then, uh, the, yeah, and the thing that you mentioned that's really profound is this uh, simple equals simple. So Ty used to have this uh, framework of like simple, simple, hard equals hard, right? Uh, what are the things in life that are actually difficult? Those are, you know, the, the non-replaceables, right? Like um, losing a loved one or, you know, heartbreak. Like, like these things are, are really, really deep and very, very difficult often to deal with. Things like, uh, you know, taking the plunge yourself to uh, take control of your own life should be a relatively simple thing by comparison to something yeah. like having to go to war, <laughs> right? right? So it's right. like, those are two very different things. And I think often people uh, have a distortion field they make it difficult for themselves. So uh, one thing I noticed with you is you have a lot of fun in your stuff. Like, like all your social media stuff is like really fun. You're like, you're just having a good time. Um, how do you go and, and there's pressure there. Like you're running an agency. There's clearly pressure there because I believe nobody builds the systems that they build. Like you don't need to build systems if your life is super easy, right? You can just kind of like, of course, hang out, right? So, so if there's pressure, you have to create, um, you know, uh, constructions of some sort, whether those are mental or physical or schedules, et cetera, uh, to deal with those. So uh, how do you go about dealing with pressure, um, uncertainty and risk? Uh, how do you evaluate risk and how do you deal with things coming at you, staying proactive, that kind of stuff? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think the biggest risk, for me at least, this might not be for everybody, my biggest risk and the biggest fear is not being where I want to be. So when you look at it from that framework and that overarching view, everything else becomes really fucking small, like taking this sales call or doing this other thing or, you know, whatever the case may be, it looks very small on that scale, on that level when you look at it like that. So I'd say that's the first thing. And like, you know, I get str I struggle with it bad, you know, I struggle with a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and stuff like that. And, but it's like the most first world stress ever, like hey, this sales call didn't go the way I want to. Like, you know, we got to be taken back a little bit and be like, really? Like, what am I actually worried about? So I think that having perspective is super important. And I know that sounds cliche, but like have perspective when you're worried or when you're, fear when you're fearful. There's a really good book uh, by Dale Carnegie. I think it's by Dale Carnegie. Yeah, Dale Carnegie. It's a called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And it talks about how to like actually evaluate your problems. So like, you know, is, is me messing this sales call up going to kill me? No. Okay. Well then stop worrying about it. So I think that when you look at it, just have some perspective. Don't get so caught up in your thoughts. That's what anxiety is, right? You're creating things in your head that really aren't real a lot of the time. So when you can actually just take a step back and say, okay, is what I'm worrying about actually a rational thing to worry about right now? Probably not. And then you just go back in and start working at it again. And I think that the last takeaway there would be that for me, especially when you're an entrepreneur, action takes away all your other bullshit beliefs. Like action is what truly like delivers you out of your problems. When you just start doing and you're, you're creating proactive, you're just being proactive and you're getting work done, that's going to take away a lot of your fear and stress. I, I find that I'm only like really worried about something if I'm not actively working on it or actively trying to make a change. So I'd say those would be some of my key points of how people can deal with that, that kind of yeah, fear. Yeah, I love that. I always say you can't think yourself into an emotion, but you can act yourself. Into 100%. One, right? Yeah, and often we forget that we're like biological machines and a lot of our emotional uh, state is dependent on the, the chemicals that our body is releasing to our brain. Um, and we so forget that. Like that's why you, know, you wake up, you go to the gym, you get the endorphins, you, you stay productive. Um, I absolutely love that, that, that action removes problems. Um, huge, hu absolutely huge. I love the, uh, the kind of the hustle and humble approach that you have. Um, what's the biggest challenge currently with your agency? And then we'll, we'll start unpacking more marketery 
type of I mean, topics? Honestly, I'd say that outreach is kind of a difficult thing because there's so many people that have taken a course or done something and now they're just hammering the market. So a lot of the times, like I, I messaged a guy last night and I was kind of taken back by it. And I was like, man, that might've sounded arrogant, but it's true. I sent this guy a message. He said something in a Facebook group about he needed help with ads. And I sent him a message and I was like, listen, man, I want to be straightforward with you. You're going to have a lot of people DM you that don't know what the hell they're talking about. I was like, just Google me and just like, look, and you can see what we've built and you can know that I'm like actually a credible person to talk to. So I think that like a lot of the people who just jumped into the game, not knowing what they're doing, being, you know, just not smart in terms of like how they're actually running their agency have kind of fucked it up for a lot of other people who are actually like serious and who actually, you know, have a real agency. So I think that, that, that would be one of the big problems, but honestly, man, it's like a lot of people see right through that. So it's, I don't really, I don't really, I don't really know. That'd probably be the biggest one, but I try not to think in that, that kind of mindset. I'm more just like, okay, here's the problem. How can we fix it? But I'd say if I had to pick one, that would probably be it. Yeah, for sure. Well, cha- cha- I, th- I feel challenges uh, is really, really good, right? The challenges are just goals. They're just opportunities, right? Uh, I do uh, a lot of mentoring and people come to me like, I have this problem. And I'm like, no, 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 don't ever use that word. <laughs> no, you have this opportunity. <laughs> and they're like, whoa. And so, so th- this comes down to like mental frameworks and creating momentum for yourself and being able to build actions on top of actions, right? You said action takeaway problems, building actions on top of action. So uh, we talked a little bit about some of those fundamental principles. Let's say somebody listening right now, they're in nine to five and they want to do their own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you and I are blessed and it's kind of like a blessing and a curse at the same time where we can kind of do whatever we want to do, right? And, and so it, it's really awesome, uh, but we're also at the mercy of our own psychology in a way, right? Yeah. So you have to kind of, you have to build like a little safety bubble or like a secondary personality inside your personality that helps you manage yourself right yeah. so like like managing yourself kind of a component so if they were to do that like if you were to start uh from scratch again really quickly quick little rewind boom scratch again what are like the three things you would do would they be the same things that you did or would you do something a different order from what i'm gonna be did? honest i i think that i would have tried to go and do sales for someone mm-hmm. um someone authoritative you know like you've you know you you did some work with ty and you probably have seen like the authority positioning not only was a major factor in your success i would i don't want to speak for you but i'd say you'd probably agree with that and the second thing is what you learned doing and having that experience so i think that i would have tried to maybe go do sales for somebody like cardone or do sales for somebody like ty so i can see inside of a super fucking successful business and I can have the authority of having worked around people like that. So like when I'm looking back and, uh, you know, my, a lot of my friends and mentors and people that I've learned from, that's the path they took. But keep in mind, I started my business when I was 18. You can't go do sales for Grant or Ty when you're 16, uh, you know, when I was first reselling sneakers. So everybody has their own unique path. But I think if I was a person that was in tw- my 20s and trying to, you know, break out or somebody who was in college, I'd say go work under somebody like that for 12 months um, and just kind of learn the model and then go start your own thing. Cool. I, lo- I love that. Who, who do you model? So you, you mentioned Ray Dalio. Um, mm-hmm. Who are your indirect models, AKA you're modeling off of mm-hmm. books, videos, et cetera. And then who are your direct models? Yeah. Well, um, I'd say like E-Man that I was telling you about is a good friend of mine and definitely a mentor. I've learned a ton from him. 
Um, Ray Dalio is obviously like the peak of people that I look at that I'm like, oh my goodness, I'd love to be like them. I love Ty's stuff. Ty is actually what got me started in the whole game was learning from Ty and looking at all his stuff. You know, I'm more, I think that now I'm more starting to model companies more than I am people because, you know, you should, you know, like when somebody's like, I'm going to be the next Grant Cardone, I think you're already fucking yourself by saying that because I don't think you should say I want to be like a person, but I more like to look at, say, a company like, you know, Ty's new company, Profit Index. I'm like, okay, that's a cool company. I'm looking at what they're doing. I'm looking at their funnels. I'm, I'm looking at all that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay. I want to model this or I like this aspect. And I think that that's a healthy thing to do. But when you're a lot of the times when you start looking up to people, you can get into a comparative mindset and you can feel taken back and you can say, Oh, well, I want to be like Ray Dalio, but he had like made six figures when he was 18 and I didn't do that. So that can sometimes put you in a bad headspace. So I'd say like anybody listening, unless you have like a really strong mindset, be careful of like really, really studying people. Cause it could just, overwhelm you completely but you know people like ray or he's a huge influence to me and um you know i like to read a lot of books jeff olson who wrote a book called the slight edge i borrow a lot of his principles and things that he's done with his life because it's it's makes a little bit more sense and it makes success like actually makes sense from a, a macro perspective and then like you know obviously you got the big guys like grant and ty and people like that I obviously look up to a lot killer man what are some of the companies you're looking at um, so mute six is probably the biggest one. I don't know if you've heard of them. It's, it's a mass, it's probably the biggest Facebook ads agency in the game right now. They just sold for multi nine figures. Um, so I like to look at kind of the stuff they're doing and just how they're building their culture. I think it's super interesting. Um, obviously like, obviously the big tech companies are super interesting. Even like MentorBox is a super interesting looking company to me. Slack, um, is, a, is an awesome company. I like SaaS companies a lot and that's eventually what I want to branch off into. So I'll always be looking at SaaS companies. Like there's a, a company called Drift, a guy named David Cancel runs it. That's a super interesting company. Just, you know, I'm studying a lot of different companies in a lot of different industries and I think there's always things that you can borrow. So like, you know, just because you run an agency doesn't mean you have to borrow stuff from just other big agencies. You can be looking at things that, you know, any company does. Like for, for example, consulting.com, uh, they have this like robot that actually rings a bell every time they get a new student. So like even things like that are super interesting and cool and fun. And like, you know, when you don't, and you, you know, you've, you've worked with some massive companies, million dollar a month companies, and you could probably say that like one of the top three reasons that they got to that level was because of the culture that was built. And so I always like to study companies with good culture because like I tell Adam all the time, my, my business partner, I'm like the culture starts here. Like this, and, and I'd say that when we were first getting started, like this is the culture, this is where the culture starts. So if you have a small company, don't think that you can't have culture because that, that is the culture. Like the fact that Amazon started in a garage, like that's the culture that they've embodied throughout the whole process of becoming one of the largest companies in the world. So any company with good culture, I think people should study and, and look into. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit more because this is actually a huge component. I truly believe just like money will make you more of who you are having a company will allow you to do things that are quote unquote unchecked. Um, you know, if, if, if you're the boss, you can do whatever you want to do. It's going to bring out aspects of your personality um, that they might be, they might be really good. They might be really effective. Like, um, or some of them might, you might look at and go, wow, I, um, I didn't expect, you know, that type of, uh, for, for example, you know, I'm very type A, right? We drive performance. Yeah. Um, and often I can uh, be very Steve Jobsian. I can be very kind of like Michael Jordan-esque. Where no, no, at, at all performance at all costs, especially in this marketing agency space, because it's very uh, competitive. 
there's a lot of people doing it, but there's not a lot of people doing it that have kind of the insider knowledge um, or have seen those systems be built. And that's absolutely something I saw with Ty is, you know, when we were architecting his backend CRM, you, you mentioned a SaaS play. Um, there, there's a technology component to that company that makes it really tick. Um, there's a, a culture component with it feeling like a place you want to belong to. Right. And there's some other elements as far as looking cross discipline, which you mentioned of not just saying, hey, we're, we're, we're a marketing agency, let's just look at marketing. Well, um, Ty looks at sports a lot. He looks at basketball almost religiously when it comes to team construction, right? How, you know, how do the, how do the Warriors do it? How do Michael Jordan do it? How does Kobe do it? Um, and how do they approach something like uh, treating a company as a family versus a team? Uh, so this, this is kind of a point that I'd really like to get your, um, your input on. I think for everyone listening, it'd be fascinating. Do you, uh, how do you approach the construction of your company? Is it more of like a, hey, we're a bunch of people working together? Is it more of like a team? Is it more of like a family? And how do you draw some of those lines where people get a little, like almost a little too, too close? close? Yeah, totally. How, how do you go about an approach? That I think it's a fascinating topic. You know, I don't think anybody's ever approached this perfectly, um, just like in anything, you know, like, for example, I don't think it's healthy to be working for somebody and you don't feel like they like you at all, even though it's like super high performance environment, that's not healthy. Like, you, your 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 team, that's where they're going to spend. Like, I'd say our mental health is constructed around the things that we spend the most time in. And obviously, if somebody has optimal mental health, they're going to have optimal performance, right? I think that's that's probably a pretty standard belief. And I think that a lot of people would believe that to be true. And, you know, Americans, people that are working 40-hour job, you know, 40-hour a week job plus jobs, they're spending the majority of their time at work. So you have to really construct you know, that environment. And I think that a lot of the times, like there's a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And he actually uh, uh, like takes apart a lot of big companies. So like, for example, he's like, oh, all these, uh, you know, uh, like um, social platform companies like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. They have these big open office spaces that have 2,800 people in them. That's so like, that's so unproductive at a, at a high level when you're looking at that, like that's, there's no way you could be productive in a room with 2,700 other people in it. Like that's literally insane, but that knits the culture together. That gets people being able to work in synergy and be comfortable around each other. So you're going to have to sacrifice like regardless of what you do. So you can either be kind of my personality, a little bit more cold and a little bit more emotionless. Cause that's kind of, I hate to say it, but that's kind of how I am with my team. It's just kind of like, hey, like, you know, I love you guys, but we're a unit here and we're not here to play games. Um, and then maybe lack a little bit on the side of like, hey, maybe they're not like, they're not in love with me and they're not my best friend, but we're getting productive work done. But there's also leaders who want to be best friends with their team and then their team ends up stabbing them in the back. So you kind of have to take like your perspective, which sucks, right? But you can never have that perfect balance. So for me, it's more of like, we are a family, but I think that in modern society and culture, we've really, really diluted what it means to be kind to somebody and what it means to be nice to somebody. I think the true definition of having someone's back and looking out for somebody is the ability to be their friend and love them, but to also look at them and say, hey, dude, don't do that again. Like, you just mess that up. We can't have that. That's something that we don't tolerate. And I think that's when you have like a really great company culture. And I think that like Andy Frisella is the peak of this because you'll see how he interacts with his team and you can tell that it's a, it's a good environment. It's a good culture, but he's not afraid to tell somebody, Hey, look, you do that again, you're fired. Like you, you, that's 
unacceptable here. And eventually your whole team will embody that belief because your team is just like, they're going to spend a lot of time with you. Whoever has a stronger perspective and whoever has a stronger belief system is going to get, uh, you know, is going to influence people that have a lesser, you know, belief system. So like you're going to, you, if most likely if you're an entrepreneur, you have an alpha personality, you're going to be able to duplicate your belief into a lot of people. So your team, you spend more time with them. They're going to absorb your beliefs. They're going to start to see things the way you do. They're going to start to adapt your principles. And then as you start to grow, your team will then be the one, uh, excuse me, the one, the ones that are actually putting that belief into the, you know, new, new team members, new employees. And so I think that you, you just have to kind of make a decision of how you're going to treat your team. How are you, you know, like what's the whole framework going to look like? And it's different for everybody. My, my point of view might not be the best, but that's how, that's what's working for us. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love it. There's a lot of accountability, mutual trust, um, mutual respect that has to come into play. And uh, I always, you know, kind of judge a company's culture by what happens if the the leader is not there. Yeah. Right. So if I go and I step away for several weeks or a month, which sometimes happens, uh, to go work on other projects, what what happens to the culture? Does it does it devolve, or have we installed those core principles correctly to say? No, no, no. It doesn't matter that nobody's looking over our shoulder, right? I, I don't know. Are most of your people remote or are you guys all in the, in the office together? Well, most are remote. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's even more important in that situation, right? You have people all over the world, different time zones. Um, I've, I've told my, uh, my staff, I'm like, we will, we will never micromanage me. No, because the biggest person you're doing a disservice for, if you're ever uh, slacking or if you're ever violating your own principles, um, is, is yourself a hundred percent because the whole reason to work with guys like myself or guys like Gary or guys like Ty is to rewire your psychology to, to, to really delete some of those older principles or reinstall new ones, more successful ones. And if you're not going to stick to those, then you might as well not, you know, not be here. So, um, I never hesitate to tell the guys, I think that's a great approach. Uh, one thing that you mentioned is this, I think is fascinating, uh, because you're so young, you kind of mentioned, Oh, like, like, Hey, this is the way I approach it. And you know, if this happens again, uh, you're fired. And I think a lot of people, uh, hearing that, they'll go, whoa, whoa, whoa! I yeah. wouldn't even think of hiring someone. I think I think a lot of people listening, they're like, whoa, you you like you fire people? Like, I think that could be a really stressful uh, thing, right? For mm-hmm. for like a new leader coming in, and they're like, oh, what do I do? I don't want to offend. So, talk a little bit about how you approach uh, emotional control, uh-huh. uh, emotional intelligence, and then this idea of being polarizing. Uh, but with, without, you know, without having it drain your energy in any way, because the way you kind of, you kind of hovered over it as if it's like, oh, and we'll also order a coffee. Oh, and also you're, you're fired. <laughs> you know, it's a very, very like, well, and I believe it's actually the correct way because all of the deductions have already been made as to whether or not it's going to work out. Right. So, Agreed. um, but I'd love to hear your thought process about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the deal. Any, I've never been fired from a job before, but anybody I know who's been fired from a job, unless it's for, for some kind of weird reason you know, like a company's companies merge or a company gets sold and then they, they're making cuts or whatever, or laid off or whatever. It's like, that's obviously not pertaining to what I'm about to say, but like, if you get fired from a job, it's, it's probably the best decision for both parties. You're never going to get, here's the deal. You're never going to get fired for somebody experimenting something. Like if one of our team members sends somebody a message on Facebook and we, we lose an appointment, I'm not going to fire them over that. That's, and if you're working for somebody like that, I hate to say it, you're working for a Nazi and you need to stop working for that person because they're fucking crazy. But like, you know, if you mess one thing up, you're not going to get fired. But it's in 
terms of like, you know, if you're taking advantage of somebody or you're slacking off or you're not optimizing your performance, I think a lot of people think that a, like you should work a job to not only learn new skills, but to become a better human and to develop as a human. So if you're getting, if I'm going to fire somebody, it's because they're not developing as a human. So you have to look at it from that framework and that perspective as if you're actually doing them a favor because maybe this is not the best fit for them, but maybe something else is. It's no hard feelings. I'm not like, I'm, and, and that's my point of view because I'm not, I'm not a micromanager whatsoever. You'll drive yourself nuts if you're a micromanager. But like I'm never going to get mad at somebody for trying or testing new things or seeing what works best because when I had jobs, newsflash, that's what I did. I was the person that was saying, hey, let's see if this will work. And nobody ever scolded me for it, and I learned a lot from it. So, you know, that's something that I would never get mad or upset about with someone. But if, if someone is continually doing the same thing after being warned or somebody's I feel like they're taking advantage of us, then obviously, you know, that's a conversation we have to have. And, you know, obviously I'm doing that person a favor if I say, hey, you know, it's just not the right fit. Totally. And I think making your team truly feel like you have their best interests uh, interest in mind is one of the most important uh, things that you can get across and actually have their best interest. Like, like I bleed for my dudes. Like, I mean, we all work around the clock. I, I love these guys. Um, I think there comes a point where you almost, you start to build a company for yourself mm-hmm. and then you do it for the product and then you get the culture and you get the team and then you start doing it for, for the people. Um, that are internal and for the people that you can serve. And that becomes a really powerful thing. I think you mentioned Andy, and I think he very much has that same approach. Um, absolutely fascinating. I love this. Okay. Um, let's kind of pivot a little bit here because we've been chatting a lot about culture, about abstracts. And I think it's important because that is, that is kind of, I think at the core, anybody who runs a company, the stuff that you do in your, in your, like your, per, like your personal philosophy is at the core of everything you do. Um, let's maybe talk a little bit about like your pure marketing stuff. Uh, so let's kind of pivot a little bit to more practicals. Um, when you go about, you mentioned client onboarding a few times. Uh, so let's, let's start there. Uh, you know, let's say you get a new client in, uh, let's say they're, they're doing okay, but they're, they're kind of not really able to get it working. Maybe, you know, they don't have a team, maybe they don't have an offer, the laundry list of things that could be off. Yeah. Um, what's your audit right away of, whether or not you choose to take that client on. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Okay, here's I think the, one of the number one misconceptions about sales. And when I learned this, I started to make a lot more money. It's not the person that's talking the most in a sales encounter that owns the conversation. It's the person that's asking the most questions. So you you, you know you used to hear this thing, and I'm I'm sure it was started in car sales because that's where all fucking shitty sales knowledge happened started is like, oh, if a person's talking in the sales encounter a lot, they own you, okay? That's not even close to the truth. So when I'm in a sales situation, the first thing I'm trying to do is diagnose. So I'm asking as many questions as possible. So like, we would never even bring on a client who didn't have an like didn't have their offer developed all the way unless that was something that we had already understood when we were first getting started. We had a client the other day. They're, they said, okay, we wanna go ahead and pay today, but we wanna get started in a month. We wanna make this agreement with you and we wanna get ready but let's just wait a month because we have some things that we have to get started, which is fine. Um, so I think that that's the, that's the number one thing. And you won't see that problem if you diagnose correctly. So if you're asking questions about, Hey, what's your offer? Hey, how many, how many people have gone through it? Hey, what's your, you know, your average, what's your lifetime value of your customers? Like all that kind of stuff. If you're figuring that out in the, and that should, that should be your sales encounter. Your sales encounter should be specifically, can I help this person or not? If I can't, who can I pass them to that can help them? 
if you look at companies that are super successful, they don't just take anyone. Like it's, it's, they're almost interviewing the client to see if the client is a good fit for them, not the other way around. So when you change your frame on sales and, and a lot of the times I'll begin my sales calls and say, look, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and I want to figure out if I'm their best fit for you. If I'm not, I'm going to pass you to someone who is. Does that sound fair? And they're like, wow, I immediately trust this person because they actually have my best interest in mind. If there's somebody that says, you know what, I just can't afford it. And I'll say, okay, well, here's somebody that can probably help you. Or here's somebody that can do what exactly what you need. Maybe I can't deliver that. So I think that's uh, being ethical in your sales. And it's, listen, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are trying to get started right now that are teetering on that line of ethics because they want to succeed so badly. But you have to, absolutely have to, if you want longevity, you have to be ethical in the way you do things. Because if you don't, you're going to kill yourself and you're never going to have longevity in the game. So like that should be the main goal of your sales encounters and you won't have problems. Just diagnose, figure out how you can help. And if you can't help, pass them somewhere else. That's totally fine. Um, but I'm sure you know this as well. And the last point I'll make on this, if you build an agency and you have a bunch of different shit going on, it's going to completely kill your ability to scale. We lost a client um, a couple months ago who was hurting our ability to scale. Um, he, he is a local client. He wanted to have meetings in person and do all this kind of stuff that it's kind of against our protocol. And it's hard to say no to people that you're already working with. And we lost him. And it was almost like, okay, well, we just lost some money, but this, how much, how much is this going to help us scale? Um, so that's, that's, that's a big piece. Make sure that like the person, you know, diagnose their problems on the call and you won't have a lot of problems when you're, when you're getting started with everything. Yeah, it's a great approach. And I think the best sales representatives that I see, the best salespeople, they, they have this unique approach of putting themselves first. And, and here's what I mean by that. I think uh, th this comes up a lot. Okay. When I bring that up, people are like, well, what do you mean put yourself first? That's very quote self-serving. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe you have to fill up your own cup, right? So you mentioned this as a, as a boundary control thing where, look, this is our protocol. This is the way we do things. And this is uh, affecting our ability to scale because eating up exponentially more resources than we've committed to this particular project. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they aim to please, right? They're, they're hunting so hard for leads that they're like, no, 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 it's okay. Appeasement, 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 policy of appeasement, right? And, and what ends up happening is kind of like a very slippery slope where they appease, 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 appease until the point where so much of their bandwidth is actually taken up by these kind of low velocity actions. They're not actually able to do those catalyst points that you yeah. mentioned in the beginning and actually uh, approach some of those things. So I, I really love that. You know, uh, I, I talk about this quite a bit, but I kind of want to rehash this for the folks on the podcast is for people to really tune into the state where like humanity is as far as technology, right? We went through a, a long phase where we didn't have this thing called the internet at all. Like right. it, didn't, it didn't exist, you know, <laughs> for the majority of human um, existence, it, it w was not a thing. Uh, and then it came out and then it was completely unchecked, right? There was no regulation. It was a completely new uh, space, a completely new communication channel. And then a lot of these offers came out that uh, promised crazy things without any sort of accountability on the back end. Hey, you will, you know, transform into a God, whatever, like, like, right. you know, fitness offers, supplement offers. I mean, you name it. Uh, they flooded the market. And what happened was the trust. I think there's a, this great stigma that, Hey, if you do anything online, you must be a scammer. Right. right. I think we've all heard that. And, and yeah, this is what we like, you know, our grandma saying that, right. Cause, uh, and you know, you can't really blame them because right. the first bash, the first flood of, quote, sales online was this kind of scammy, 
no accountability um, wave of these quote products and offers that like don't really deliver the results. Um, and then what happened was uh, what we're seeing now, right, when we're recording this is a uh, circle back around. And that circle back around, uh, what you're seeing now is the, uh, what, what's coming up? Personal brands, right? Why is that? It really is a macro trend that's happening is people want to be able, I call this, I want to be able to punch the guy in the face. Like, like my mentoring students, I always tell them like, dude, if we don't get you guys results, you should be able to come up and you should be able to slap me. <laughs> like right. slap me, right? Because that creates a, a forceful accountability. And what that does is it, it you know, I'm going to kind of bring this full circle. You talk a lot about tech companies. One of the biggest mantras in tech companies is that products got to be excellent. That outcome, we're focused on the UX, we're focused on the design. We want to make sure that we're getting that person the outcome that they need, not the outcome that we want them to have, the outcome that they truly really need in their lives. Um, that's what we're focusing on. So I think it's great that you've unpacked that. Um, so let's say, let's say you kind of have somebody and they're rocking. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, contracts with a very unique angle. Okay. Uh, how do you approach structuring your contracts when it comes to holding uh, other people accountable? So let's say you need, for example, creatives, yep. right. Or, or graphical assets. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How do you go about uh, structuring that for the people that are listening? I think it'd be yeah. a great thing to unpack. Uh, in the, in the past few months, you know, I'm, I've had so much development in the way I look at things and the way I look at my agency. First of all, you have to look at everything with a positive, what would be the right word? An affluence mindset. Okay. I think that when a lot of people are structuring deals with an agency and someone asks a question, it could be just like this. Say you're presenting to me Facebook ads and I say, Hey, you know, are, do you, do you make the videos? And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. We'll do that. We'll do that. Cause you, and I'm just asking a regular question. You're thinking, okay, the deal's done if I, if we don't do these videos. So you end up bringing on a bunch of work in reality, you're going to, they're going to, you say, no, that's not in our services offered. They say, okay, well, we'll just have to plan about how we're going to get these videos to you. It's literally as simple as that. And if you just have transparency, so, so, you know, everything is very clear on what we do and that's in our onboarding process as well. So we structure everything by a three month basis. Um, I always say that like, if you don't give something three months to work, it's probably not going to work. Um, and we like to see, you know, 30 to 60 days, we're getting optimal results and things are starting to happen, but you have to give shit time to work. Like, don't be impatient and you have to just lay that foundation. I promise you, people will be a lot more trusting of you in your sales encounters. If you're just honest and you're just clear expectations from the beginning. So don't say a bunch of shit that you're not actually going to do or that you think they want to hear. Tell them what you're actually going to deliver. You're going to keep the clients. You're going to build good relationships. And you're not just going to have clients that stay on for one or two months like most agencies and then say, see ya, you guys are a waste of my money. So I'd say that's the biggest thing um, is giving it some time and also just like being very clear about it's an, it's an encounter. Like it's not, you're, when you're hiring an agency, you're not hiring, a, you know, you're not hiring someone to work full time for you. People understand that they're hiring this skill. And I think that's why it's good to get kind of niche. So like, even if it's a lot of people stress a lot of like being niche. And I think it's at scale, it makes sense. But like, if you want to work with some SaaS companies and you want to do some e-com stuff and you want to work with some personality brands, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, and that's kind of contrary to, you know, particular belief, but don't, by any means say, Hey, we do LinkedIn ads. We do social media management. We do YouTube ads. We do Facebook ads. We do Instagram ads and we do email marketing and we do UX and we do all the graphic design. Stay niche on the services that you actually provide. Okay. So if you can stay niche on the services you provide, they're, they're going to view you as more of an expert 
So when you come in and say, we do full funnel Facebook advertising, they're not going to say, oh, will you come film videos? Oh, will you come edit videos? Can you do this? Because they know, okay, this is what they offer. This is what they're good at. I don't even worry about it. Like that's like, if I come to you and I'm the best personal trainer in the game, you're not going to ask me, hey, dude, are you a nutritionist as well? You're just going to be like, okay, this guy is good at what he's good at. He's going to get me results in what he's an expert at. And maybe he can advise me a little bit on what I should do for the other piece, but it's not going to be that big of a deal. Let's go ahead and get working with this guy and, and we'll figure everything else out. Yeah, I love it. And you can always recommend, right? I've got, um, like, like, for example, like I'll bring this up as, as a total like thing that I'm terrible at, TikTok, okay? I, I, I have not mastered it, okay? I'm not the TikTok master. And so I'm proactively finding young kids that are like, dude, how do you, like, I know I need to get on it, right? Uh, like, how do, you, how do you do it? Um, but then when uh, my clients come to me and they go, hey, um, you know, we really want to do TikTok. Like, do you know anything about TikTok? I'm like, nope, sorry, not going to tell you I know how to do it. Um, and then you mentioned a, a fascinating component of, you know, don't hold yourself back from working with multiple different uh, kind of niche slash market segments. And uh, you mentioned that it might be kind of uh, juxtaposed against a certain terminology. But what I like about it is you are going off of uh, an orbit on a high value skill, right? If the high value skill is Facebook ads, that's what we know. We know that inside right. out and all the components. Okay, well, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're working with a, um, you know, a, a designer brand versus a personal brand versus a, maybe a, a SaaS company versus a, a major corporation. So uh, I think... So uh, I'd like to add that as a second component for those, th those things to start. You mentioned sales, go work in a, a high-level sales organization. Um, the second part I'd like to add here is figure out what that core skill is that you can use as your center point. Uh, if that's, uh, you're, the, you're, you're great on the phone, right? If you're great on the phone, cool. Uh, that's gonna be one of your core functional things that you're gonna do. You're gonna try to get on the phone every single day. If you're good at Facebook ads, you're gonna, you're gonna have your business manager open, you're gonna be rocking it there. If you're good at copywriting, um, then you're going to focus on that. If you're good at systems building, et cetera, et cetera. And um, some of the best entrepreneurs are, are good at, you know, multiple things. Like I always say, there's like a list of 75 things or so you need to kind of know to, to do it. And it doesn't mean you have to do them all the time. Um, and I want to point out most entrepreneurs, key, key thing there, aren't great at everything. They're just good and they understand it. Like, you know, it, most entrepreneurs, if you can, if we can use an analogy here, they speak, you know, great. They, they don't just speak great English. They speak good English, good Mandarin, good, you know, like, and all, you know, they speak a, a lot of different languages, good, not just one great. So I think that like, you got, it's, it's good to be skilled and understand all those things. Cause you, you, first of all, you'll never train on something that you don't understand yourself. Um, but, but it's like, don't feel like you have to be a master at all these different things. Cause you're just going to get sidetracked and it's going to stunt your growth. Totally. And use the modeling to find those unknown unknowns, those, those blind spots that you have. I think uh, something like accounting, for example, is a perfect example. Accounting or operations, right? It, it, like it's so mind-numbingly boring. But you know what? I, I, I see such a huge difference. I've been in part of these companies where if their uh, financial system uh, and their financial frameworks are not flushed out, it affects the entire organization. That's one of those things that like cancer could spread. So, you know, it might make sense for you to go and take a, you know, CFP course or a CPA course. Um, and master it. So uh, I love I love this stuff, man. Uh, so so to kind of uh, start closing it out here, um, you talked uh, you touched on this briefly. Okay, you touched on kind of uh, the things that that drive you. You mentioned you never, and I think we might end up doing like a separate one uh, in 2020 with you for just copywriting, just sales, just marketing. Yeah, that might be a fascinating thing. Um, but what I want to uh, talk a little bit about is this idea. Tony Robbins calls it moving towards, moving away. 
right? So when I asked you like, what, what's that driver? You're like, well, I never want to be um, in that place that I just don't feel good about myself. Um, so that's very much of a moving away aspect. And I think this will be a, a fascinating thing for you to unpack is, uh, you know, I have this thing where um, I grew up in Russia, right? Okay. So I didn't have a ton of money. And so uh, I got picked on in school because I didn't have, you know, a bunch of different changes of clothes. So I got every possible elephant and panda hoodie and like all the, I got all the stuff, right? Uh, so that was like uh, a huge driver for me is moving away from um, being perceived as non-influential as, as all these things. Um, and then eventually I started to, to model more and more and more, right? And then you start to pick, oh, okay, I want to be like so-and-so, like so-and-so, like so-and-so. I want to have these things, clarity of outcome, more of a moving towards. So when it comes to moving away, moving towards, how do you approach it? That's one part. And then the second part of that is what are the core emotions that you use as drivers? So a good example of this is uh, Michael Jordan, for example, Kobe, they use rage a lot. They use anger a lot to drive their performance. Whereas uh, other people use other emotions. How do you approach that internal, if you were, you know, like a, a human car, what is that, that engine um, that drives you forward? It's an awesome question, and that's uh, that's like a fantastic question. Um, so basically, I was you have to be very self aware if you're going to be successful in anything. Number one, that's the first thing. In school, when I was in school, I was the kid that was up at midnight the night before the a test studying. So that would mean that one of my main drivers is pressure. Pressure has always been one of my main drivers, whether it's yeah, man, um, let's do it. I'm down. Uh, I'll, I'll pay you this amount of money in two weeks. Okay. Now I got two weeks to come up with this money and now I got two weeks. Uh, yeah. Hey, we'll, we'll have that over. We'll have that done in two weeks. So pressure has always been one of my main drivers. Uh, pressure I like to say is your barometer. Um, it's actually, I don't like to say that Taylor Welch uh, did a podcast on that. If you know who he is, um, I don't want to take credit for, for what he's doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that pressure is one of my biggest drivers and it always has been. And I think rage is a big one too. You know, like I think that a lot of people that are successful and a lot of people like whether they'll admit it or not in the beginning, they did it to prove a bunch of people wrong. And I know I did the same thing. Like I was talking to one of my mentors about this. One of the first, like I was really starting my personal development journey and I was like, is it bad that like one of the reasons I want to be successful is to prove all these people wrong. And I remember very vividly, he was like, it's not bad but it's not going to last. Like uh, one, of, one of my best friends from high school, he was my only best friend from high school. Um, and we, we kind of hung out with this clique of different guys. And uh, he would always tell me, he's like, you know, all these dudes, like they think you're a joke. And I, I, that really used to piss me off. And then it was about six months ago. And he was like, you know, man, nobody really says anything about you anymore because you did everything you said you were going to do. And now it's like, okay, don't even care anymore. So like at one point that was something that motivated the hell out of me. And I was like, okay, these people think I'm, I suck and they think I'm dumb. I'm going to work my ass off. And then it's like, okay, I don't even care. So your why and the reason that you're doing things is always going to up level. But for me, pressure is something that's always been there. What if there's pressure on me to, to deliver and get something done? I think that comes from playing sports. I'm always going to be a lot more inclined to deliver. And I think that like proving people wrong uh, and up leveling, you know, it, it, it's, it's there today and gone tomorrow. After you actually see some success, you don't really give a fuck what anybody else thinks. I love that. It's like the Drizzy quote, you know, money for revenge. And that's hardly an expense. It's true. Uh, it's, I love it. Um, okay. Last one here on that. Um, how do you go about maintaining happiness levels while you do that? Cause often you put yourself under pressure and um, it creates a scarcity of like, I have to go, I have to do this. 
if I don't do this, I don't feel good about myself. Um, how do you go about approaching that? Or do you just say, screw the happiness, I'm just gonna get the thing done, and then the happiness somehow actually kind of happens as a result of that accomplishment? Yeah, there's this uh, saying, it's like, when you're, if you just become happy, you'll find something to be happy about. I think it's the way you wire your brain. If you're looking out for things to be happy about, you'll be happy. Um, and I think that when you find fulfillment in your work, and a lot of that goes above you. I think the reason that so many solopreneurs, like they struggle and they, you know, all these terrible statistics, like you're six times more likely to be bipolar and all this stuff. I think a lot of those are developed from solopreneurs. Cause like when you're just doing your own thing and you're not like directly impacting people, it's not, there's not a lot of fulfillment or happiness, but when people are messaging you and like, John, you changed my fucking life. That's something that's like, okay, now we're, that's, that's a reason to be happy because that, that happiness is coming from helping others. And I think that's like the root of where all your happiness can come from. So I think that uh, that's where I find a lot of my happiness. And if, if you just are in a positive mindset and you just say, hey, look, I'm going to find something to be happy about because there's literally always something to be happy about. You'll, uh, you'll be, be a lot happier person. I love it, brother. Man, there, there's so much more. We could just keep going, but I think, uh, I think let's do this. Um, first off, how old are you now? Now that we're doing, you're 20. Dude, yeah, yeah. Ki killer mindset, man. Lo love the hustle. Mad respect, man. Massive appreciation. Let's do a shameless plug. Uh, how can people find out more about you, connect with you, and uh, also if they want to engage with you in uh, the services that you provide, what are those and how do they go ahead and do that? Yeah. So, um, you can go to my Instagram at John Danes. That's kind of my number one social media where I'm always at. I feel like that's everybody. Uh, and you can go to my website, 99 media.co. Uh, if you're looking for any help with your Facebook ads, uh, specifically any lead generation stuff and you know, we're getting into some conversions, some e-commerce stuff this upcoming year. So yeah, it's been fun. Um, and yeah, so that's where you can kind of find me if you want to engage. Um, and you want to ask me any questions. Thank you for having me on, man. This has been super fun. Want to see if we can maybe partner up on something next year, dude. Absolutely, man. Um, and also, j just to unpack that a little bit more, uh, if someone's listening, what is like the avatar of client that you have a blast working with? Yeah. That um, that's fun for you. Like, if, if someone is a blank, uh, they should for sure, you know, reach out. We we love infopreneurs because that's kind of my background and that's the space that I've operated in. Just like being around and being friends with so many infopreneurs and seeing how everything works. That's really our main avatar and our main niche. And we're developing some offers for some realtors right now because Adam, my business partner, and I, we both have a background with realtors. So we're actually developing a consulting program for realtors. So it's, uh, those are kind of polar opposite niches, but that's something that we both have experience and success in and that we've really been able to crush it for. So realtors, infopreneurs, it's our favorite niches. I, I love it. Yeah, taking taking the brick and mortar online is just so powerful, oh. man. We're, we're transforming the world. Uh, brother, thank you so yeah, much for hopping on. It's, it's been an absolute blast to have you. Um, happy holidays, first off, for those of you guys that aren't here. It's the day before Christmas, and we're hustling. We're getting stuff done. Uh, we are flipping digital sneakers online, so to uh, speak. And uh, last but not least, I, I know I know you're 20 years young, but you're, you're awfully wise for your age. Um, you. If you had a mini me, uh, if you had a mini you, and you had to kind of depart this lovely earth, and it was like, you know, this was like kind of our, our last little moment. Um, what would be that one thing that you would impart onto, you know, AKA, you know, your, your kid, AKA slash mini me, what would that yeah. be? Whatever you're going to do, just fucking do it. Like there, there's no, there's really not, not a, not balance is not real. Like just go in and do something and you'll, you'll figure it all out. If you just really go in with a, with a clear head and say, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to get it done. You'll figure out a way to get it done. Amazing brother. Lots of love for you. Thank you so yep. much for hopping on. Um, Let's connect. And as always, uh, this has been Hustle System with Mr. John Danes at John Danes on Instagram. You can check him out at 
uh, 99media.co. And as always, we'll include all the links, all the references, all the books, all that good stuff in the show notes for you. This is Mikhail with Hustle System, over and out. It really is a revolution. Rapidity. One electrical arc after another. Still trying to get myself adjusted.